Hello, Church. We're, today we're going to start a new series uh, called Ancient Words for a New Day. And it's a series that's going to be focusing on the minor prophets um, who often we, we know their names, but we don't really, aren't terribly sure about what they actually said or where they fit into things. We know the names because they each have a book in the uh, Old Testament, towards the end of the Old Testament. And we're going to go through 11 of these uh, minor prophets um, who have these books. The aim of this series is to give us, the community, some clarity about what these prophets, who they were, really, um, what did they have to say. Um, but eventually we're going to come down to uh, what does it mean for us to hear these words. The Apostle Paul says that in 1 Corinthians that uh, these were recorded for us so that we might learn. So what do we learn from this? And there's going to be five questions which we're going to address throughout this series each time. The first question is, you know, who is the prophet? Who is it that is writing these or, or saying these words? What did he have to say? Why did he need to say it? What was the circumstances around the time where he needed to say it? Or was there any word of, of future hope in this message? Was it all just doom and gloom? And fifthly, why is this important for us today? Let me encourage you to intentionally come on this journey uh, these are the prophets who 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 one who look forward to the day that God would fulfil His promise to the, the Messiah, and we are people of that promise. We we've seen the fulfilment of the Messiah, but we get an opportunity to look back at how it was seen um, from from the past, but also how we'd respond today. These prophets spoke in their contemporary circumstances. They had real problems. They were they were speaking rule to rule issues of the day and they long to see the fulfillment of God's promise and if we think of this message that they had Jesus is the fulfillment of that message and if he is the fulfillment of the message and we're a part of his church we need to work through exactly uh, what that means for us today so who was the prophet today we're going to look at the prophet Amos and he was uh, he was uh, a prophet in an unusual moment in history. Um, by this point, the uh, the old and the sorry the uh, the northern uh, part of Israel was divided from the southern. So Israel was the northern nation. Is Judah was the southern nation. It's been about 150 years, and and they had found themselves in a position of quite an economic boom. They were quite well off at this point in the north. And they're well off because they didn't have to pay taxes because the, the Assyrians, the, uh, the superpower of the day, who would extract taxes from them, they were having some troubles and they found themselves in this political vacuum where they had actually a lot of wealth. And for, but for 150 years, the, uh, these two nations were, were often rivals. Um, they were not one. They were actually quite divided. Ten tribes in the north and two tribes uh, in, the, in the south. <clears throat> and really, Amos was a nobody. He was no one. Um, he came from this place here, Tekoa, um, in the south. Um, it, would, it was a desolate place. It was a, a place where he was a shepherd. In Amos chapter 7, verse 14, he says, I was neither a prophet nor a prophet's son, but I was a shepherd. And I also took care of sycamore trees. But the Lord took me from tending the flock and said to me, go prophesy to my people Israel. 
Now, this was highly unusual. The, the, the prophets were those who were recognized. You, if you're a prophet, your father's a prophet. And before that, your father's a prophet. But here, Amos was plucked out of obscurity, a shepherd, a, a, a person who looked after sycamore trees, and was told to go and confront the king of the north, um, the almost the enemy. So it wasn't a professional. He was not a prophet nor a prophet's son. And it's not far from how we might feel today if, if we were plucked out of obscurity and told to, to go and confront the, the, the leaders of our world, uh, give them a message from God. They would say, well, who are you? Where are you from? Amos could say only, I'm a shepherd. I look after a few sycamore trees. And I come from this place here, Tokoa. Tokoa was nowhere, a nowhere place, uh, and from a, a place where the, the north, uh, they despised. They despised Israel. Well, what did he have to say? When he got, went to the north, um, into to that northern nation, um, he came and he pronounced the, the, the message, the word of God. He first uh, did so, he did it in a remarkable way. Um, he went there and in the public square, I guess, he, he pronounced God's curse on, on Damascus. This is, these are areas of rivalry with, the, with Israel. So, so the, the message would have been well received. Um, and so we read in uh, chapter 1, verse 3, this is what the Lord says, For three sins of Damascus, even for four, I will not turn my back I will not turn back my wrath. Now, Damascus was a long-time rival of Israel and often went to war with them. So this would have been something that the locals would have cheered. You know? If God is going to come and turn his wrath on, on Damascus, hear, hear, isn't that wonderful? Good news. And then he turns his attention to, uh, to Gaza. He says, chapter 1, verse 6, this is what the Lord says, for three sins of Gaza, even for... I will not turn back my wrath. And there had been cheers from the people. They would have loved this. They would have loved Amos's message of, of condemnation against the people of the enemies of the people of God. Verse chapter 1, verse 9. Now, this is the Lord, this is what the Lord said: for three sins of Tyre, and even for four, I will not turn back my wrath. And we see this circling of the of the nation of Israel, and and again they would have been happy. They would have been wonderful, been wonderful news to hear that God was going to finally bring His wrath upon the nation of Tyre. And Saul went and it spoke about Edom, and it spoke about Ammon, and it spoke about Moab for three sins, if not for four. God was going to to bring His wrath upon these nations. And they would have been rejoicing because finally God is going to do that. They would have probably started saying to themselves, well, I like this guy. You know, this guy is coming up from the, the south. He's a foreigner. But... And then could you imagine, I can imagine that uh, as he, he went on to the next nation for, for three sins of Judah. These are the people down south. I mean, the northern nation would have just been elated. Uh, finally, God is going to dish out the, the wrath. Um, chapter 2, verse 4, this is what the Lord says, For three sins of Judah, even before, I will not turn back my wrath. 
because they rejected the law of the Lord and have kept, not kept his decrees because they have been led astray by false gods, the, the gods of their ancestors' followers. I will send fire upon Judah and will consume the fortress of Judah. They would have been saying, they would have been elated. Finally, those southerners, those who had Jerusalem as a part of their nation, who, who thought they were so special because they had the temple. Finally, God is going to bring judgment upon them. But then their excitement would have ended when they heard what he said next. This is what the Lord says. For three sins of Israel, even for four, I'll not turn back my wrath. <clears throat> they sell the righteous for silver and the needy for a pair of sandals. They trample on the heads of the poor as upon the dust of the ground, deny justice to the oppressed. And it goes on, father and son use this the same girl, and so profane my holy name. And we have a list of things that happen, and the exchange of clothes were given as, as collateral, like, and so you'd give your sandals. If you owed money, you'd give someone your sandals so that you would come back and pay, or, or your jacket, you'd give them your jacket. But you're always, God always said you got to return the jacket to the person by that night because you, they cannot be cold, you know, they should not be left cold without a jacket. So you need to care for your people. But here we see horrible things happening, injustices. There was no justice. There was, there was a sexual abuse. There was, there was ways of uh, uh, treating down the vulnerable. And these things were never to happen amongst God's people. <clears throat> there, was a, there was a message of universal Justice that God was going to bring upon those who oppressed, those who oppressed uh, the people of, of God, the, the, the vulnerable people, often the foreigners, often the widows. They were going to be finally oppressed. They were going to be finally uh, judged. Why did Amos need to say this? When we think about chapter 5, verse 11 and 12. You trample on the poor and force him to give you grain. Therefore, you've, you have built stone mansions. You will not live in them. For you have planted lush vineyards. You will not drink their wine. For I know how many of your offences and how great are your sins. You oppress the righteous and take bribes and you deserve the poor of justice in the court. You deprive the poor of justice in the court. They were trampling the needy, chapter 8, verse 4, 4 and 6, that they were selling people's land and land was to be inheritance of the people of God forever and they, they, were going to, they were meant to retain that. And when there was these celebrations happening, that they, they were not unreligious people. They, they, they loved to celebrate. They loved to go to, to celebrate God and to, to offer the offer their, their offerings to God. They, they delighted in the, uh, the hymns and the singing and, and all that part of the religious life. They, were, they, they, did not, um, they did not stop that. But this is what God says to those who were rich. Chapter 3, verse 15, I will tear down the winter houses along with the summer houses. The houses adorned with ivory will be destroyed and mansions will be demolished, declares the Lord. And my personal favourite, chapter 4, verse 1, hear these words, you cows of Bashan on Mount Samaria, 
you women who oppress the poor and crush the, the needy and say to your husbands, bring us some drinks. Now, you may not know what Bashan, Bashan was like the bigger valley, you know, the, the place where it was so fertile and green and, and things grew and, and cattle grew fat. And God is, is, is through the, the message to Amos, is calling them uh, these women who were, must have been uh, receiving the, uh, the surplus of, of, the, the, of the corruption against the, against the vulnerable people, the poor, they were feeding themselves. They were, they were called the cows of Bashan. Um, I don't think in any context you can call a woman a cow, and uh, that'd be a good thing. So was there any word of future hope in this message? Uh, well, not a lot. Um, chapter 3, verse 12. This is what the Lord says. As a shepherd saves from the lion's mouth, only two leg bones, a piece of ear, so will the Israelites be saved. Have you got the picture? So that the shepherd's going to come as a lion to attack the, the lamb. Um, and what is saved? Two leg bones and a piece of ear. It's not the great, greatest message of hope, is it? When you read something like uh, chapter 5, verse 4, this is what the Lord says to the house of Israel, seek me and live. There's a glimmer of hope, isn't there? There's an invitation. Um, you go on the way that you are, and, and this is your hope. This is the end outcome for you. You'll be like two lamb, two lamb legs and a piece of ear. But the wonderful, the wonderful message of hope here is, is seen in chapter 5, verse 4. Seek me and live. Uh, chapter 5, verse 40, 14 and 15, seek good, not evil, and you may live. And the Lord God will be with you, just as he said. Hate evil, love good, maintain justice in the courts. Perhaps the Lord, the God of Almighty, will have mercy on the remnant of Joseph. It's not in any sense that they deserve mercy, but perhaps God will have mercy but the greatest message of hope comes in the last chapter. It's the most, it's the most positive. Chapter 9, verse 11 and 12. In that day, I'll restore David's fallen tent. Remember David, King David, the, the, the messianic king, the, the one who, who, was, who had, was a friend of God? God will restore David's fallen tent. I'll repair its broken places, restore its ruins. And build it as it used to be, so they may be, so they may possess the remnant of Eden and all the nations that bear my name, declares the Lord, who will do these things. So David's fallen tent with the remnant amongst the nations who bear God's name. There is a place there's going to be a, a fulfillment here, and it's actually going to include people who are outside of the nation of Israel. So why is this important today? It's not the primary purpose of Amos, um, but it, I think it's one that we can take away from it. God calls the most unlikely to represent him. God has called us to represent him. Um, in one sense, we're, we're no one, we're nothing. We're, you know, you may not have a theological degree, you may not have a you may not have uh, 
uh, uh, qualifications, but that doesn't stop God from God using you. Um, God can use you and he can use me for his purposes. But what is probably we need to remember is that, that, that actually Amos had to leave his home. He had to obey the call, even though he was not qualified, even though he had no heritage there. There is a message there for us that we indeed may be called to do things of God that we're just not equipped for or, or qualified, but we simply need to act in obedience to him. And I think now, more than ever, we need to take that on board. Um, we, we've been speaking about being sent. Maybe it's, maybe it's us who needs to be sent. And I love how um, Amos says, you know, the day of the Lord was the day of judgment that there was to come and, and, and Israel would have been calling out for the day of the Lord to come, the, the, the time when God will judge his enemies. The frightening thing here is that the people of God are the enemies of God. They are the ones who are acting in, in disobedience to him. Um, and we really do need to take this on board ourselves. I mean, we love going to church when we can. We love singing the songs. Um, but so did these people from, from Israel, the Northern Kingdom. And God was sickened by what they did. Um, they, they continued the, the rituals. They, they continued the practices that, that uh, they thought were really important and significant. And we, it's good for us to pause and think that, does our worship sicken God? How could our worship sicken God? If somehow it's just about that, if it's not a whole life, if we are cheating and stealing or, or, or even defrauding or slandering or gossiping, if, if we're undermining people, if we're not encouraging them and, and, and seeking justice and righteousness, then our worship can sicken God and we're better off not being there at all and doing and, and, and uh, singing our songs or, or praying our prayers. We need to make sure that we know the kind of outcome that God wants. Um, in Amos, it was all about um, justice and righteousness. I think uh, in the New Testament, we, we've had it expanded. We know, we know what God wants of us and we need to make sure, we need to evaluate, it, it, are we producing the fruit that God wants? Uh, it's very clear what God wants. He wants to see love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness, gentleness and self-control so that we can live lives that uh, does not take advantage of people so that we can be encouragers and so that righteousness and justice is just a part of who we are because, you know what, we are sons and daughters of God most high. Israel lasted approximately 20 years after Amos presented them this prophecy. You see, Assyria, the, the great nation, they sorted out their internal conflict and they came down harder than any nation who tried to rebel, who refused to pay their taxes. 
And uh, we see Israel, the nation, was wiped off the map. Um, uh, there was really no northern kingdom anymore. And all, they were, they were taken. Um, if they were not killed, they were taken and they were put into to other areas of um, uh, a serious world. Um, so they used to take uh, different area, groups and put them in other areas and take the, the people from other areas and bring them into to Israel. And that's where the Samaritans come from, the idea that there was, there was a mixed race. The mercy of God is ever before us today, but we cannot presume on God's grace. We have an invitation. Our invitation is very clear. We are to seek God and live, to seek good, not evil, that we may live. We are to hate evil, we are to love good, and we maintain justice. And wherever we find ourselves, if, if we actually are not being the salt and light, if it's just about us coming to church and doing the churchy bit, then I don't think there's any hope for us. Well, we do have some hope, don't we? Two legs of lamb and an ear that sticks out of the lion's mouth. So my prayer and my hope for you and for me is that the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, will be ever-present in our lives, that we may indeed seek to do the work of God, to have faith in his Son and to reach out to others. We're called, we believe, as a church to love God, to love each other, and to make disciples who follow, learn from and obey Jesus. I think if Amos was here today, he would say, do that and live. We do that and we live in a right relationship with God. We, love, we live in a right relationship with each other. We would find a, a society more just wherever we might go. Let's just pray. And Father, my prayer is that we, as God's people, may indeed reflect the qualities of, of you, uh, mercy and love and righteousness and justice, we might bear the fruit of the Spirit in our lives, wherever we might be. Lord, we know that um, we're in circumstances that we can, cannot control, and indeed, in many ways, we can never control our circumstances. But we want to come close to you in these circumstances. We want to draw near to you. We want to seek you and live. And so, Lord, I want to pray that the, the words of Amos to, to your people will not fall on death ease here today. We might indeed seek, seek you and find life, life eternal. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.